This is a Saddleback Church podcast. So when it comes to the difficulty phase of a dream, that's phase four, there, there are internal and external difficulties. One of the things people will often say, if you're in the process of dreaming, you move into action, yeah. you encounter a delay, and then it gets difficulty. Yeah. I'm sure you've gotten this question before. Almost like somebody saying to you, well, you, you shouldn't dream. You shouldn't be doing what you're doing. They'll say, well, what's God trying to teach you in this? And one of the lies I believe the enemy puts into people's minds yeah. is that if, if God gives me a dream, it should be easy. <laughs> and it's like... Ask one person in life if that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sure you've gotten that question before. It's like, what's God trying to teach you? Yeah. But that promise that the promise that we don't like to quote as much where Jesus says in this world, you, you will have, have trouble. Revelation. And it, so that's that clarity of difficult uh, marriage, parenting, ministry, every good thing yeah. that ever happens through our lives encounters difficulty. Yeah. Talk about living with, with the reality difficulty is going to come right. and how that produces endurance. Yeah in this faith. Right. Well, Peter, Paul, and James all say, don't be surprised. Yeah. And Jesus said it. In the world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. So we have to remember one thing. This is not heaven. This is earth. Everything on earth is broken, broken by sin. The weather's broken. The economy's broken. Our bodies are broken. And you realize your body doesn't always work correctly. Different parts don't work at different times. Uh, relationships are broken. Uh, literally everything on the planet is broken. The only thing per perfect is God's word. God's word is the only, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of God abides forever. The only thing perfect on the earth is the word of God. So everything else is broken, which means there's gonna be pain. There's gonna be problems, there's gonna be difficulties. So we're, we should not be surprised, uh, but while pain is inevitable, misery is optional, mm -hmm. okay? Our response, we, don't, we can't control the hurt we're gonna have. And I'll say to the people, you're gonna be hurt in life. You're gonna be hurt, uh, count on it. The question is, what are you gonna do with it? Mm -hmm. God wants you to not waste your hurt. We think that people are impressed with our strengths. The strengths actually just make, uh, create uh, jealousy. Okay, and, and if I were to tell everybody, here's all the neat people I've got to meet in my travels around the world, uh, and here's all the cool things I've got to do, people go, well, goody for you. Okay, big deal. But when I talk about how Kay and I would be divorced today if we hadn't got good marriage counseling in the first year of our marriage, uh, when I talk about uh, uh, depression that has run in our family, when I talk about uh, ADD, when I talk about uh, four people in my family have had cancer, and when I talk about uh, the, the suicide of a son to mental illness, and people go, oh, wow. Well, you know, if God can use Rick with all that stuff going on, maybe God could use me. We actually help people more in our weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And so... Turn your pain into gain for others, okay? And w don't waste the difficulties in your life. Use it to grow your own character 
you know, Saddleback, our church is famous for helping in big disasters. We've been involved in, I think, 34 international disasters, everything from Katrina to Pakistan earthquake to tsunami in Southeast Asia, et cetera, et cetera, about 34 uh, different big disasters. And what I've discovered, Andy, in flying to these places and dealing, being on the ground with them, about half of humanity in a crisis turns away from God, and about half of humanity turns toward God. I don't know why that happens. To me, it doesn't make any sense that I would turn away from the one person who could give me comfort. Where are you going to get any comfort otherwise? Uh, but it, it is human nature that some people let difficulty drive them from God. And I'm saying, that's dumb. Mm -hmm. That's just dumb. Let it drive you to God. And so in this phrase, if you're in the difficulty phase right now, you're in the delay and difficulty phase, uh, don't ask why. Why is this happening to me? I'll tell you why it's happening to me. We live in a broken world. It's not heaven. In heaven, there will be no more sorrows, suffering, sadness, sickness, sorrows, tears. That's why we're to pray thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because in heaven, God's will is done perfectly, mm -hmm. completely, instantly, all the time. None of that's true about God's will on earth. God's will is done incompletely, with mixed motives, seldom, and, uh, and often not at all. Mm -hmm. So we pray, let heaven be on earth, but we don't expect this heaven on earth mm -hmm. uh, because it's broken. Yeah. And in that situation, we will, uh, we're just going to trust God in the difficulties. Well, one of the things that you said that I, I, it stuck with me is you said God has all eternity to keep his promises. He does. And so much of that is in this last phase that we're going to come to, which is dead end and deliverance. Dead end and deliverance. We'll see you back for the next section. <laughs>Well, we are, we're in a journey together over these six weeks. We're looking at Pastor Rick's brand new book called Created to Dream. And the big idea of this series is that God has placed his dream inside of you. So there's a dream that God wants to accomplish in and through your life. And that dream, it starts, God deposits a dream. That was phase one. We talked about how God gives us dreams. But then there's a moment that we act on the dream. So we decide to move forward with the dream, and when we decide to move forward, then almost always there's a delay. And sometimes that delay could be a year, it could be 10 years, but every dream goes through a period of waiting. Now today we're gonna look at the fourth phase, it's the phase of difficulty. And I wanna say on the front end of the message, I've got a lot of energy around what we're gonna talk about today. And I have a lot of content, but you can thank me because I pre-recorded half of my message this week, and I actually, I had two sermons. I wrote it, I was like, oh, this is an hour and a half long sermon. So what I did was I pre-recorded half of it. If you want it, you can get it. By the time you get to your car, when you take your next steps today, you just scan this little QR code that you see on the screen or on your notes, your printed notes. And if you will click the button that says, send me Pastor Andy's podcast, that will come directly to you. You can listen to it because at the end of this message, there are some questions I wanna leave you with that you can reflect on today's message. You can get that today. But what I wanna do today is I wanna give you a word of encouragement. This is an encouraging message. My hope for you is that you walk out of our time together today. When you shut the computer off or you turn your phone off, that there is a dose of encouragement 
around the difficulty that you experience in your life. Now, I think that we can all acknowledge when we have our dreams, our dreams don't always go the way that we want them to go. I have a lot of dreams as a dad. When I moved to Southern California, one of my dreams as a father was that I would enjoy Southern California with my kids. Like my family, we would have these wonderful memories that we would make. Now, at our Lake Forest campus, we have Saturday night's services, and my kids are in school all week, so I have about a five-hour window on Saturday morning to enjoy and drink the wonders of Southern California. And on one particular Saturday this past fall, I was very excited. I went to bed on Friday night with a dream in my heart of what Saturday would be like. See, I come from Northern California, and if you were ever there or lived there, you know that the beaches are a joke. It's like the brokenness of the world is fully present in the beaches of Northern California. And there are wonderful por you know, portraits and all that, but they're just not, I mean, I'll stop there because if you're from there, you, you, you might take it personal. But I think we can all agree, even people from Northern California know the beaches in Southern California are better. So I, I'm like excited about, go I, I have this image in my mind of like going to Balboa Island and eating a banana with chocolate on it and doing sword fights with my kids with the bananas and splashing my daughter at the beach and playing spike ball with my sons. I mean, I just, it's visceral in my mind, this dream. I've, I've envisioned it on Friday night. I wake up on Saturday and I'm so excited about Saturday. I wake my kids up, I go to their bedrooms. Nobody wants to go to the beach. Nobody wants to spend time with me. And by the time breakfast is done, everybody is fighting with one another. All the kids are arguing over cereal, going back and forth. And as a parent, I try to insert myself into this and my inserting into the problem never solves the problem. It only exacerbates what is happening. So it's like pouring fuel onto a family fire. Like my energy just pours the fuel on it. My wife, somehow, she says things in a way that my kids just calm down. I don't calm them down. So I, I make the problem worse. And by like 10 o'clock, my window is closing. So my anxiety is increasing. I'm not the non-anxious presence in the home at this point. And I'm frustrated with my kids. First of all, they're not grateful. First of all, second of all, they don't get along with each other. But now my frustration has turned internal. So I'm frustrated that I'm frustrated. Anybody else have that problem? So my anger is with them, but my anger is with me. And so by the time 11 o'clock rolls around, the window is almost gone, and all we're going to get to do is go to Chipotle. And so here I am, <laughs> like, I'm just getting increasingly frustrated, and by noon, it's gone, and there is no trip to the beach. It was like my dream was ruined. And then that Saturday, I got to go and stand in front of everybody and preach the love of Jesus with all the joy that I could muster up. I wonder if anybody else has an experience like that that they can attest to. You have a dream, you want it to happen, and it just doesn't go the way that you want it to go. Every dream eventually encounters difficulty. Every dream. Dream for a great marriage, dream for sexual purity, a dream for great relationships with your kids, a dream to leverage your singleness, a dream to make a difference in the world, a dream to build something nobody else has built. Every dream eventually encounters difficulty. And not every person responds the same way to difficulty. 
Not every person perseveres through difficulty. Not every person is strengthened through hardship. There are some people that are weakened and give up, and there are others who get stronger through adversity. They become the kind of people that develop muscles of faith that can sing songs like, I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I know you'll do it again. Great is your faithfulness, God. Great is your faithfulness to me. So today, I wanna do everything I can from the word of God to encourage you that you would be the kind of person that in the face of obstacle, in the face of difficulty, you would be the kind of person that leverages that difficulty for the dream that God has called you to. Now, Nehemiah is the one that we've been looking at these last few weeks, and I wanna go back to chapter two. Nehemiah has a dream from God, and the dream is to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. Now, the walls around Jerusalem have been torn down because of the disobedience of the people of God. They've been in exile in Babylon for 70 years. Nehemiah gets a dream or a vision to rebuild the walls. He comes back from Babylon, hundreds of miles away. He was the cupbearer to the king, and now he comes back. He's a Jewish man. He's rebuilding the walls. And in chapter two, verse 17 and 18, this is the moment that he mobilizes the people to start to rebuild the walls. It begins and it says, but now I said to them, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. So he's casting vision and he says, I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been on me and about my conversation with the king, and they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. Now I want you to imagine this is the moment where everybody moves forward. This is historically, there have been so many of these moments in our church. This is that historic moment when Pastor Rick, decades ago, stood on a stage and said we wanna mobilize the whole church to go to every nation, and so many of you said yes. This is the moment when people sacrifice to start campuses all over Southern California and globally. This is that moment where people say yes to God. So Nehemiah mobilizes the people and you're expecting like, okay, next verse is gonna be like, all right, so they started working and the wall gets built and it's amazing and God's hand was on them. And then immediately in verse 19, these jokers show up. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. It says, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshep, the bloggers, heard of our plan, <laughs> the, the Twitterers, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king, they asked? Now, these guys are gonna show up. They never show up in a positive form in the book of Nehemiah. And maybe you have somebody in your life, they never show up in a positive form in your life. And I wanna encourage you, try not to think about them right now. Just try not. You ever heard, don't think of a purple elephant. People say that, and immediately in your mind. So I've, I've ruined it. But these guys show up, and every time they show up to criticize the work of God, every time to criticize Nehemiah. And they, they ask this, are you rebelling against the king? I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We as servants will start rebuilding this wall, but you, you have no share, legal right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. Now you would think, number one, they start the wall and it works. You would think, number two, okay, well at least one time they show up, the difficulty's there, and then Nehemiah, 
he moves on and they're gone. But in chapter four, these jokers show up another time. So first, they're questioning Nehemiah's intent, like you're rebelling against the king, you, you really are being disobedient, and you're breaking the law, and Nehemiah perseveres through it. And then chapter four, they come back again, second time, another news cycle. And it says, Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they think they can make something of stones from rubbish and heap and charred ones at that? Do they think they can be sexually pure when every generation before them wasn't? Do they think they can have a great marriage when their parents got divorced? Do they think they can walk in integrity when they come from a history of cheating and stealing? And do they think they can build the wall? Do they th and then Tobiah, the parrot, Response. He's like the guy. Just, you ever, it's, like a, it's like a movie. My daughter did this play this week at our Lake Forest campus, and there was an evil villain, and then there was a little character next to the villain that everything the villain said, the little character was like, yeah, that's right, that's right, you get him, that's right. And so Tobiah is like, the, yeah, that's right. And I love this next line. The Bible's funny sometimes. Tobiah says, who was standing next to him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along top of it. It's like, oh wow, that's a, that's a brilliant one right there, Tobiah, thank you for that. Like you couldn't come up with something better than that. Let's watch out for the squirrels. I mean, our, our wall's gonna fall down, wonderful. And then Nehemiah, notice the fortitude. And then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. Now how do you feel about this, Nehemiah? Thank you for your clarity. And may them, they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Now, Nehemiah is a great example in the sense of he's encouraging us through his demonstration of prayer to pray. Jesus gives us a better way to pray. Jesus actually tells us to bless our enemies. So this is not an exemplary prayer, but it is an example of when it's difficult to be honest with God about the struggle. So Nehemiah is honest with God. Now you would think it's, I'm going somewhere with all this. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna preach on all this. I'm gonna encourage you from God's word, but I need you to see the context of how hard it is for Nehemiah. It's like, soon as he takes a step forward, he gets shot. Soon as he moves forward with what God asked him to do, there's resistance. So in chapter six, he's about to finish the wall. He's about to have the grand opening of the wall around Jerusalem. And right as he's about to finish, these guys show up again. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained. So they said your intent was bad on the front end. They said it would never happen in the middle and in the end, right before you're about to finish the thing that God has asked you to do, the resistance shows up again. Though we had not yet set up the gates doors to the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message, and it actually says in chapter four, it was an unsealed letter. It was like a Twitter post, so everybody would know. They sent me this letter, and they asked me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of, oh, no. Can you say it with me? Oh, no. Where's oh, no? It's like, I don't know where oh, no. It's like Los Banos. It's like, 
It's just some random place in the middle of the wilderness. Oh, no. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. Their intention was to destroy me. I want you to underline, if you have on your notes, that, that intention of harming me and plotting me. Actually, this is only on the screen. It's not in your notes. So, but I want, you, um, I want you to go back and in Nehemiah 6 to really look at that phrase. They were plotting to make it difficult. There's resistance that comes at us when we are obedient to God that the only intent is to make it harder to do the thing that God has asked you to do. Now, point number one in order to endure and turn obstacles into opportunity is to expect difficulty on the path to the dream. It's amazing the difference between when I think it's gonna be easy. You know, it's like nobody goes to the gym and thinks, oh, today, I'm just, I'm just really hoping that clap, maybe we do think that, but we still go. And when you go, you know in the gym, if you lift a weight, it's gonna be hard. The hard or the difficult or the, the challenge, the resistance is the very thing that develops the muscle. But sometimes when it comes to faith, we think if we take a step towards honoring and loving God and following Jesus with our life, that immediately it's gonna be easy. But what I've discovered is the, the moment that I make a decision that I'm gonna do the thing that God has asked me to do and be obedient to the voice of God, the moment I step out, that's when resistance comes. In fact, it comes in the creation, in the continuation, and the completion of any dream. Resistance or difficulty is in the creation or the formation of a dream. It's in the continuation of the dream, and it's in the completion of the dream. Right before Stacy and I got married, I went to work for my dad. My dad's a business owner. He owns a plumbing business. He actually started the business the year that I was born. And for four months right before I got married, I got sent into the field. I so quickly learned this is not my calling. Like, if you're a plumber, thank you. Like, you make the world go round. Without you, there would be a whole lot of messes everywhere. We need you. But I realized it's not my calling. Now, I went out on the field, in the field, on, on the job for a little while, and uh, one of the things they, they didn't tell me is that when you're working on sewers, you should wear glasses. You know where I'm going with this. So there was one day I was doing some things with pipes and I got some stuff in my eye and I'll tell you later what it was. But one of the other challenges of working there was I got sent into the field with a guy that had a horrible marriage. And so I'm four months out from getting married and it was like every day I went to work with this guy, this guy wanted to tell me how bad marriage is. And it was like his whole, his whole goal was, dude, don't get in. If you can get out right now before you say I do, get out. It's like it, j j marriage is really bad. And I'm here to tell you 20 years later, he was wrong. He was wrong. His marriage was bad, but marriage is not bad. And it starts in the beginning. You're gonna try to honor God. You're gonna do marriage God's way. You're gonna, you're gonna honor God with your singleness. You're gonna start a business that honors him. You're, you're, you're gonna make something with your hands that is an innovation that blesses and serves the world. You're, you're gonna honor God by helping other people, leading in ministry, going overseas, starting a camp. Anything that I do in the creation, if the enemy can get you to not step forward, 
to, if he can abort the dream before you move forward with the dream, he's one. So it starts in the creation. It's in the continuation. As I'm trying to do the thing that God wants me to do, there's always a middle that's so hard that is constant push. And right before I finish, now I told you on the front end, this is going to be an encouraging message. And you're like, this is not encouraging. But it's encouraging on multiple fronts. First of all, to understand no resistance means I'm going nowhere. Now let me unpack what I mean by this when it comes to no resistance. It's like I could sit here all day and just enjoy the day. You could bring me sparkling water and I could drink sparkling water with a hint of lemon all day. And there's no resistance. But if I turn and do push-ups, I'm not because my shirt's not long enough. But if I turn and do push-ups, the, the second I do something that's gonna build me, build my strength, the moment I do, there's resistance. So in the journey of faith, resistance means I'm doing something that matters. It means I'm doing something that's building a muscle internally. No resistance means I'm going nowhere. So it should encourage me if there's resistance to the thing that I'm doing that God has told me to do, there's an enemy that's threatened by my obedience to God. He knows that if God can get a hold of my life, if God can inspire me to live with freedom, he knows if God's vision for me to make a difference in the next generation, he knows if I pour out my life into, into a small group and serve others, he knows if you say yes to God, he knows that you're a threat to his kingdom. So Paul says in Ephesians chapter six, a final word, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies but we are fighting against rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual war that is being fought for your life and when you decide that you want to live for God and honor God, the resistance is evidence that there is an enemy who is against you. But Paul says, finally be strong in who? Your capacity, your wisdom, your experience? Now Paul says, be strong in the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 1, 18, 19, 20, Paul says, the same power that brought Jesus from death to life is the power that is in you. There's another place that says greater is he who is in you than all the force of the enemy who is in the world. There's another moment when Elisha in the Old Testament is going into battle and he's next to a servant and he prays for the eyes to be open to the spiritual realms to see the armies of God that surround him as he's going into battle and he sees all of these angelic beings surrounding him to increase his confidence, to know the God of the universe is for me. His mercy, his goodness, his faithfulness has been following you all the days of your life. So whatever the enemy is throwing at you, there is a God who is greater than the enemy. His power is stronger. So when I understand the difficulty is combated with the strength of God, the more difficulty I walk through, the more my muscle of faith is growing to believe he's done it before, he's gonna do it again, he's gonna strengthen me, but I wanna encourage you today to expect difficulty. 
Following Jesus is hard. Honoring God with your purity is hard. Putting God first in your finances is difficult. Deciding that you're gonna honor God with your business is hard. The path of resistance is the path of life. The road of destruction is wide and narrow. But the invitation from Jesus is to a path of difficulty that is paved with his goodness and his mercy and propelled with his power and his love. So to expect difficulty is first. But number two is to pray through the lies in difficulty. Now I wanna come back, chapter four, verse four, again, this prayer is not an exemplary prayer in praying fire on our enemies. But this is an example of turning to God in difficulty. Chapter four, he says, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May the scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves be captive in a foreign land. Chapter six, verse 13 as well, says they were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin, and they would be able to accuse and discredit me. So much of resistance is trying to derail our integrity and our character and Nehemiah says, remember, O oh God, my, all of these evil things that Tobiah and Sanballat have done. So I wanna pray through the lies that exist in difficulty. Now there are so many different forms of lies, but I wanna just capture a few major categories, and the first one are the lies of doubt. So what the lie of doubt wants to infuse into your soul and it's one of the primary lies that has existed from the beginning of creation. What the enemy wants to speak to you is that you are not enough. You don't have the gifts, you don't have the experience, you don't have the wisdom, you don't have the talent. That dream that, that's in your soul, you don't, you don't have what it takes for that dream. And that lie of doubt is equally combated even in the first couple chapters of Genesis with Adam and Eve is the enemy's attempt to get them to not believe in God's capacity or God's goodness that God is not enough. His, his word is not enough. His, command, his power, his presence is not enough. You are not enough and God is not enough. So what these doubts are trying to do, they're trying to get me derailed from the conception of the dream that God has put inside of my heart. That lie of doubt is present every step of the way. I wish I could shake it. That inner critic is still there. I've learned to turn down the inner critic, but there's never been a, a moment where I didn't have to like eventually at some point pray back through that lie of doubt. When I stepped into this role, so many people come and they ask questions, are you acclimated? And then one of the questions I got is what's it like to follow a legend? And it's a great question. In fact, they'll, sometimes they'll follow up with like, well, you know, you know people who follow legends, they're, they're sacrificial lambs. <laughs> and I had a, ther true story, I had a therapist say that to me. That was our last appointment. <laughs> but the lie of doubt sometimes creeps in. What's it like to be in such big shoes and fill such big shoes? And I'll, I'll always, in that moment, I just, I wanna say, well, it depends. It depends when you ask me. Because there are moments, there are moments where I genuinely think, oh my gosh, these elders have made a horrible mistake. They have hired the, they've hired the wrong person for this role. Now, I don't say that so you come and say, oh, I love you, I, I, 
Again, I say that because I know deep inside of your heart you hear that same voice. You hear that same lie. You are not enough. God should choose somebody else for this dream. But I was reminded this weekend in Exodus chapter three, I was reading as Moses is being commissioned or called by God to go back into the promised land and he hears that internal voice and he says to God, who am I that you would call me? And you would think God would give him like an explanation of a strength finder and his five top strengths and why he's the one and his pedigree spiritually, but God says nothing of Moses' capacity to lead the people back into the promised land. All God says is, I will be with you. And it's not a matter of what you're not, it's more of a matter of who I am. And God would go on to describe his name, Yahweh, I am. So for everything I am not, he is. For every one of my doubts, he is more than enough. And he who called you is faithful. So if he's put a dream inside of your heart, it's not a measure of your capacity or your experience or your wisdom or your perfection. It's more about who he is. So as I pray and I, I remind my soul, like Moses or Nehemiah, to be directed back to the greatness of God. The other lie is the lie of discouragement. The lie of discouragement looks at the wall and says, it's not gonna work. A fox, a squirrel, will break that wall down. And the lie of discouragement will also say to you things like, it's not working. Your kids are still ungrateful. You're, you still argue with your spouse on the way to church. You, you, you still get angry. You're, you're st all these there's so many moments where I'm like, I have, I have been following Jesus now for 30 plus years. And there are so many moments where I think about the fruit of the Spirit with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I think to myself, I should be so much more filled with that fruit. It's not working. And what the enemy is doing in discouragement is he is trying to prevent you from laying the next brick down on the wall that God has called you to build. If he can get you to not invest in your kids, if he can get you to not use your gifts, if he can get you to not be faithful with your finances, if he can get you to watch one more show on Friday night on Netflix when everybody else is asleep and you know it's a show that's gonna put images in front of your eyes and he can get you to convince yourself it's not going to work, you'll never be free. That discouragement is taking you away and all the while you are laying bricks, you are building a root system underneath the ground that is going deep into the love of God, that is going to bear fruit in your 50s, your 60s, your 70s. So that faithfulness that is required is Galatians chapter six, verse nine says, do not give up in doing good. For if you do not give up at the proper time, you will bear fruit, you will reap a harvest. So there are laws of God's economics, God's agricultural infrastructure for the world that as you do what God has asked you to do, 
you might not be seeing the fruit right now. You might not be seeing it in your marriage right now. You might not be seeing it in your kids right now. You might not be seeing it in your business right now, but your faithfulness to keep sowing seeds, keep plowing ground, keep putting down bricks. The lie of distraction, the lie of difficulty is telling you that it's not working, but there's one more lie, and this is for all my ADHD brothers and sisters in the house, the lie of distraction. So there's the lie of discouragement, but there's also the lie of distraction. I'm so bad I could be preaching on stage at Lake Forest and hear a motorcycle on the road and be trying to figure out what kind of motorcycle it is. It's so bad. And what the lie of discouragement is saying to you is you're up on the wall and you're building the wall and you're like, laying bricks down to honor God and be obedient, and there's like, oh, there's another wall. I should go see about this wall over here. And it's this shiny new thing. I, I think I hold a world record, y'all. My world record, I think I hold, is the most number of books started but not finished. <laughs> because what happens to me is I get a new book, and I, I could go... I could go on the self-defense with this one because I do think most people's books should be 80 pages. Like that's one thing I love about Created a Dream. You can read it in two hours. Um, Purpose Driven Life is the perfect length, but there are other books. I just thought I would say that. There are other books that are just a little too long. And I start a book and I'm like 80 pages in and I hear about another book, and I'm like, oh, I should read that book. Anybody else like that, just out of curiosity? Okay, well, we could all do, like, cliff notes. Why don't we all take a book, do cliff notes, and share them with each other? That'd be a great... The, the lie of distraction, though, is Sanballat and Tobiah, if they can get Nehemiah to come to the plane of, oh, no, they can get him to not finish the thing that God has asked him to do. See, what God is doing in the difficulty is God is building your muscle. The enemy is trying to destroy it. And number three, I want to finish with this, is to leverage the difficulty for perseverance. It's to leverage the difficulty for perseverance. And what I mean by this is coming back to everything that the enemy wants to use to destroy you and destroy the dream that God has placed inside of you is something that God, on the flip side, wants to use to develop you. Every bit of difficulty in this broken world, God is a God who says, I take what the enemy intends for evil and I use it, I turn it for good. Even, even the worst moments of your life, God can turn for good. Even your deepest, darkest regrets, God can turn for good. And he takes, he leverages it for good. So when it's hard, there are three things you can do. Number one, you can quit. Number two, you can complain. Or number three, you can keep going. You can quit, you can complain, and you can, or you can keep going. Now I will say this about my personality. I think it is kind of a personality trait. I can do things that I don't want to do. I can force myself to do the hard, difficult thing. But what I struggle with is my attitude. And there are moments where I'm doing what God wants me to do, but I'm just the whole way through. And Philippians chapter two, I think personally, this is one of the hardest verses in the Bible to obey. It says, do everything, 
everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you, live clean, innocent lives as the children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. And it's not just about what God is doing through you. The dream is about the person you're becoming. And so what God is doing is he is wanting to form in you this beautiful character of the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He's wanting to form that character in you. And one time we had in our home some extended family. I have some strong categories around, um, you know, when it comes to making meals, like the person that makes the best meals probably should be the one, but the other one in the household should help. Amen. Amen. I'll amen myself. Um, and I have a very strong, so I'm not good at cooking. I, it's a gamble. Like I made something the other night, it went well. But it's like a 10% well for me. So it's just a gamble. It's like, so I, I help stay, I'll go and I'll help, I'll cut things. I, and I have a category, I do not want a bunch of men to go sit down and watch sports after my wife has cooked a meal. So if I have friends or family over and all the men are in the living room and the women are in the kitchen cleaning up, it just makes me mad. Makes me mad. Okay, so some of you husbands, this is all you will get out of the message, but it, w it will work. My, my wife says, if you want better intimacy, pick up the vacuum, like it works. And so, there was this one occasion, I digress, there was one occasion and there were a bunch of family members over and they all, like all the men go, extended family friends after the meal, they all go sit down in the living room and my wife and a couple women and myself are in the kitchen and I'm so mad and I'm pushing the vacuum and I'm like <laughs> and Stacy says to me, you know you're, you're, you're losing your reward before God right now. It's like you're losing twice. You're doing the work and you're mad. And some of us, we are persevering with a bad attitude. We're persevering with a frustration. And what God is trying to cultivate is in the difficulty, a gratitude. I get to keep getting up day after day and doing the thing that God's asked me to do. So the muscles of faith that he is building are muscles of character that the fruit of the Spirit is coming out of our lives. And that perseverance is forming and shaping you. And all of it, God wants to leverage. He wants to turn it for good in your life. I'll give you one more story and I'll finish on this. When we were first called by God to plant a church, Stacy and I planted a church. We lived in the Bay Area for 14 years, pastored there, and then God called us last year to come here to serve in this role at Saddleback. And when we first got the call to go to the Bay Area, uh, the Bay Area is one of the most unchurched areas in all of the United States. And we went on a trip there to kind of explore if God was calling us. And I got into a conversation with a group of pastors and leaders, and I told my dream to them. And as I'm sharing my dream with them, as I'm walking through it, they start going through all the reasons why this dream that God has given to me should not happen, and they're going, it's too expensive in the Bay Area, it's, it's too ethnically diverse, people are too resistant to the message of Jesus. And I walked away from that conversation, the next morning I was like, oh God, send us to Texas. <laughs> send us to Georgia, like, don't send us to California. And in that moment, I 
prayed and I felt like as clear as day, God spoke to my heart and said, Andy, I wanna remind you in the Old Testament of the story of the 12 spies and the 12 spies that went into the promised land, 10 of them that did not believe, but two of them, Joshua and Caleb, had faith to believe the promise. I want you to be a Joshua. I want you to be a Caleb. And that story has become a mantra. Every obstacle in your way, there is a God who is bigger than that obstacle that wants to leverage it for good in your life. There is a God who is for you. So I'll leave you with these two verses. Nehemiah chapter six, verse three says, as Sanballat and Tobiah come, Nehemiah says, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down from this wall. I will not meet you in the plain of Ono. I am going to be faithful with the thing that God has asked me to do. And in verse 19, I want you to see this. He says first in verse three, I cannot come down, I am doing a great work. And in chapter six, verse nine, he says, they were saying these things just to intimidate me, to get me off the wall. And I love this last line. He says, so I continued the work with even greater determination than before. So everything that they were throwing at me, God was using to propel me into obedience to do the thing that God has asked me to do. And I would say to you today, continue the work with greater determination, more passion for your marriage, more passion to invest in your kids, more passion for your integrity, more passion to leverage your singleness to make a difference, more hunger and desire to do the thing. And every diaper that you change is a brick. Every conversation you have with a child is one more on the wall. Every time you say, I'm gonna honor God when nobody is watching is one more brick that you are laying down. And with passion to look at the difficulty and say, I am doing a great work. I will not, I cannot come down from the wall that God has called me to build. And this is true for you, this is true for us. God has given us a vision, Saddleback Church, to see the world transform with the love of Jesus, to see every nation reached with his good news, to see campuses and continents, 15 international campuses, 50 campuses here in the States, to see the wall built. We will not come down from the wall. We will keep loving our communities. We will keep serving with the gifts that God has given to us. We will keep investing in the next generation. We will keep praying for our one life. We will keep doing the thing and every brick is laying a foundation to build the wall. And God is saying to you, will you be the kind of person that says, I will not come down from the wall? Now listen, I got one more encouragement to you. Some of you are living your life with a faulty assumption that following Jesus should make your life easy. We live in a day where everything is structured around easy. I could sit down on a couch and turn on Netflix and not have to get up for hours until the programming that they've built into the operating system shuts off. It just goes next show, next show, next show. My kids 
can order food on their phone, never have to talk to another human being. We can all go out to eat. Everybody can eat at different restaurants. We can sit down. They can get exactly what they want. Life, and again, I love technology. God bless it. But life in our day is structured to make it easier on us. And that's great. That's wonderful. But following Jesus is not easy. It's difficult. If you want to have a great marriage, it will be hard If you want to honor God with your purity, there's difficulty. If you want to put God first in your business, if you want to create things that nobody else has created and bless the world with God's love, it's going to be hard. If Jesus was nailed to a cross for our sins, there is no path forward in God's dream for your life without hardship. So the call, the invitation is to a greater faith that is not just in this life. It's in a God who has conquered the grave and overcome. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, it will be hard. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He has overcome the grave. He has deposited his spirit inside of you. So by faith in the Son of God, he is more than able for every difficulty and he is forming in you the character of strength of faith of the fruit of his spirit but you have to persevere you have to keep going do not grow weary in doing good do not give up on the dream that God has placed inside of your heart he is more than able he is more than able I want to invite you now to stand with me as we respond in worship and we seal this moment in our hearts. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly all that we can think, ask, or imagine in our human minds. The imagination, the creativity, the dreams of God for your life in our church are far greater than what we can imagine. And it says, by the power of God in us, through his power at work within you, to him be glory in the church now and forevermore. So as we go into this song in just a moment, I want to invite you to declare right now with faith in this room that God is able. He's able to restore your marriage. He's able to strengthen you in loss. He's able to rebuild the walls that have been torn down. He is able. God, we come in faith and we seal this wonderful weekend at our church and the amazing things. I pray that you would give us a sense of urgency and passion around the dreams that you have placed in our heart. God, that you are more than able God, let Saddleback be a people that don't live for comfort and ease of life, but obedience to the voice of God to do what it is that you've asked us to do. And God, as you keep blessing our lives and doing the miraculous and doing the unthinkable, God, we will by faith respond to you to say, yes, you have our hearts, you have our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekend message from Saddleback Church. If you like this, please consider leaving a rating or review for this podcast. The Saddleback Church Weekend Message Podcast is a part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Visit saddleback.com slash podcasts or search for Saddleback Church in your favorite podcasting app 
to see more great podcasts from Saddleback. For more weekend message resources, visit saddleback.com slash message resources.